You're listening to The Dice Men Cometh, broadcast live to air on Edge Radio 99.3 FM and proudly sponsored by LFG Australia. Welcome to episode 311 of The Dice Men Cometh, Australia and Tasmania's leading board game podcast, brought to you proudly by LFG and streaming live from my games room. Now, I'm very lucky to be joined by Leon this week, but even luckier, we are joined by a couple of special guests who we will introduce in a little while. But first of all, Leon, how the hell are you? I am very well, Garth. We had a cracking game day here on Saturday. You should know you were here. You drank most of my rum. Yeah. And I I had to go buy another bottle today, but that was (laughs) fine. Uh, And we had a ball of a time talking about a game that I'm not going to spoil in the slightest that we will be talking about on the show sometime in the coming, well, I normally say weeks, but it's probably months considering the way we do episodes now. I think so. But all I'm going to say is, yar! Yes. Yar indeed. Mm. Well done there, putting the little breadcrumbs in front of the children. Nicely worked Absolutely. out. Absolutely. So we should stop prattling on because people have heard us for 311 episodes and talk to people that are actually interesting for once. So Garth, who are we chatting to? Well, very kindly. We have dragged people out of their own living space. And thankfully there's no video that goes along with this audio because they are dressed as well as Leon and I are at the moment. So welcome Phoebe and Mark, most recently famous of Ludo Cherry, but both of you have a, a pretty remarkable gaming history. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks thank, for having thank us. Thank you. <laughs> oh, it's wonderful. So how's, uh, how's life in Melbourne? Any, anything to report or it's all just, you know, normal, same old, same old? Just hiding inside from the zombie apocalypse, you know, yep. same old. Yep. Exactly. Yes, well, um, yeah, you're not doing it too well over there and the news just keeps um, being a little bit bad every day, but... Looks like the two of you are staying fit and healthy and safe. So um, all the best to you and everyone on your slightly larger island than ours. <laughs> now, look, both of you have got, you know, your, your gaming history. Um, is it fair to say, Phoebe, maybe you've got a, a little bit more backstory when we go into the tabletop world? Yeah, I think so. Mark kind of started playing uh, most of the modern board games he's been playing s- since we met and since we started dating. Uh, so I, I think I first played Catan when I was nine or 10 years old, I want to say. My parents got it for a birthday present. So right. that, that was kind of literally the, the gateway for me <laughs> coming yep. into the hobby. <laughs> um, and, you know, I played in the gaming group of uh, Neil, who runs Bordercon. Um, and that was kind of my introduction for the first few years. Wonderful. Um, and yeah, so Mark really been kind of on the scene for the last what three years now three years four years yeah yep fantastic so you know you look at where little nine and ten year old phoebe was and where slightly older phoebe is now what's this trajectory that you've been on from from opening that first box of Catan to to where you are now which is very successful kickstarter creator and and runner as well as a very established history in um promoting and marketing all types of tabletop games must have been a pretty good ride. It's been definitely an interesting ride because I would have never expected to be here, I guess. Um, <laughs> I, you know, I loved playing board games. I never expected that it would end up as kind of a job or a career in like working in the industry. So, you know, I finished high school. I went off and did a degree in uh, international relations, expecting to work in government or politics or something like that. And then probably decided that the world's a mess and I don't want to be the one. To try <laughs> it. Um, so that kind of led to me, you know, after graduating, looking at other options at 
which point I got the opportunity to start working for Bezier Games. Uh, yes. Yeah, so tell me about that opportunity. The little bit of research I did tells me that it started when you were overseas studying. So yeah. how did you go from, you know, student living overseas to in the fold of everything board gaming? Uh, so, of course, while I was uh, over in Washington, D.C. for a year uh, as part of my degree, and, of course, while I was over there, I was like, well, the U.S. has all, all of the conventions, right? They have Gen Con, they have Origins, they have uh, the PAXs that are much bigger, especially, you know, four or five years ago than they were, um, than PAXOS was here. Yeah. Uh, so I was like, well, I'll just travel as much as I can and go to all the conventions while I'm over here. Um, and that led to me starting up Cardboard Vault, which was the review site I ran for a few years. Uh, and also just getting the chance to meet a whole lot of people who are in the industry. So I met, you know, in the process of interviewing people, I met a lot of publishers, a lot of designers, um, a lot of other content creators while I was over there. Um, and that kind of got me the, I guess, the networks to start putting down um, roots and start kind of being able to have my ear to the ground for those opportunities so the way i actually got the job with bezier games uh was a friend tagged me in a facebook post by ted elsbach who's the uh you know the the uh, co-owner of bezier games mm -hmm. and ted was like hey we need someone to you know run our facebook and run our twitter a friend tagged me in that and two days later i had a job <laughs> and that is how board gaming networks really just help a, a gaming career that's that is obviously started off young and is uh, gone from strength to strength. Yeah, so it, it's definitely one of those industries where it's broken and made by the people you know, for better or worse. So yeah. the opportunity to go to all those conventions really allowed me to kind of get my foot in the door and, um, you know, have people who would recommend me for things. And, you know, I didn't have experience as marketing. I just knew board games and I used Facebook. <laughs> And that was enough for me to kind of, you know, have a passion and have an interest uh, to, you know, start out relatively small at a, you know, 10 hours a week position um, with Bezier Games, but to kind of grow my experience and, and expand from there, which is kind of an amazing opportunity to start in the in the industry. Absolutely. And I mean, Bezier Games is like, let's say pretty well known. I mean, obviously, uh, games, one of my favourite games, still Suburbia, Castle of the Mad King Ludwig. We've obviously got the one night everythings. Um, <laughs> we've got Whistle Stop. We've got Colony, which is sitting up there unplayed still. And then we've got a little game called Werewords, which Leon, you might want to jump in here and say something like, do you, have you played Werewords? Do you like it at all? Have I played Werewords? I've played, yes. it's probably the game I've played the most in the hobby over the last 10 years or so. And it's oh. argue, I don't know if I say it's my favouritest game, but it's very much up there because it's just, it's so good. And obviously Bezier is involved with um, all the, the ultimate werewolves as well. And I, you know, the werewolf group that I ran down here in little old Hobart for several years, you know, having seen Bezier every, you know, every couple of months when we got like, those boxes and doing the best version of those, even though it was kind of an open source game. So yeah, they were just hitting stuff out of the park for years and continue to do it, which is great. Garth, did you um, end up getting your Suburbia Collector's Edition? No, no. Oh, no. I oh, know. Now, I don't know if <laughs> I'm sure we've, I don't know if we've mentioned this on the show or not, but if we haven't, we bloody well should, because this is arguably Garth's, I don't know if it's his favourite game, but it's probably the one he talks about the most. Yeah, and he think. didn't yeah. back the collector's edition with everything, whereas I, on the other hand, go, oh, shiny, what's the collector's edition? $400 of a game I've never played? Sure, why not? I will do it. <laughs> so, Garth, my, my question to you is, 
Are you okay, mate? What's 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 wrong with you? Are you right? Oh, look, I, I am okay, but the the vagaries of adult life and the fact that your bank balance goes from really healthy to really unhealthy just through living makes it hard to back those three, four, five hundred dollar games. So thankfully, I've got at least one mate who backed it and only lives about ten meters, ten meters, ten minutes away. <laughs> but still, yet to get it to the table. So oh man, I play suburbia the app all the time, but uh at some point, I'll pick it up. There's got to be a copy somewhere I can get for the right price because it is awesome. So basically, Phoebe, your job there for a while was to tell people, so these games are some of the best in the world and just here they are. That that, that mustn't have been terribly difficult. No, it was pretty good. And um, one of the great things about, especially Werewolf in particular and One Night or the One Night series, is that people are just constantly playing. It's a very social game, obviously. So people are constantly playing them, posting photos. And I had so many amazing photos uh, of the game, even cosplays that people were posting on Instagram and Twitter that I could, you know, repost, obviously credit them saying, you know, look at this photo this person's taken. Um, and so a lot of the time, it's not even my original content. It's just showcasing some of the amazing work people have already done out there, which was kind of a lot of fun for me to just kind of look through and see people enjoying the game so much as well. And it must be good getting paid to basically control C, control V. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I did that earlier when I was preparing for the show and I got bugger all out of it. There we go. <laughs> Fine. Now, is it still the case that deduction games are one of your favourite genre, Phoebe? It's, it depends on the game, honestly. So um, I really love uh, deduction. Social deduction can be. Uh, it depends on the kind of social deduction, I guess. Um, I don't know what the defining factor is. What would you say? I, I don't know what sort of makes them... I, I know that one thing that one grievance we both have about a lot of social deduction mm -hmm. is where the first turn is completely arbitrary and just there's no information out there. And the literal most optimal way to play the game is just not say anything in the first round because you have nothing to go on. Yeah. So, so we like social deduction where you have a bit of information to work through. And I guess that it is closer to actual deduction in some way. Like you have some information to go on, you have some way to kind of find information and, and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, deduction games, logic games, puzzle games, they're definitely one of my favorite. The, problem is most of the time is that they're usually best with three four five people yeah. just you're all trying to figure out things that other people have yeah. and most of the time it's just mark and i so we can't you know cryptids a really good deduction game yeah that one's really fun cryptids okay. a lot of fun there's a lot we could talk about for a long time but... yeah <laughs> <laughs> excellent so mark let's talk about you because phoebe's been hogging the mic mate now <laughs> is, is it all phoebe's fault that you've got into board gaming is a, that how this works bit, yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, no, it's completely her fault, actually. But you were playing some games. Yeah, Flux. There we go. That's it. Look, it's better than you know, the, the M word. I, I had... Um, <laughs> Just. You were playing that too. I had the deluxe edition. <laughs> yeah. Yes, That's right. We, uh, we all have a past. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. We try, we try to keep it there, though. So yeah. um, yes. this one, that one unfortunately followed me a bit. No, I <laughs> when I met Phoebe... I sort of I came over to her house one day. I was like, "Oh, what's that?" And and she was like, "Oh, that's that's scythe." I'm like, "Oh, is that any good? <laughs> is that like is that like Ticket to Ride kind of but better?" <laughs> and I think we'd been dating for a month. 
Not and even. Not even a month when uh, our friend Tom loves to have a big weekend away, you know, ten, oh, yeah. ten, or, 10 or so people. Um, we go to an Airbnb and we play board games all day awesome. um, for, you know, three or four days. Not, um, not just board not, games. Not just any board game for this trip, though. This was specifically a mega civilization trip. Oh, wow. So yeah. we've been dating maybe just is just kind of a month. Yeah. And you came away with like eight of my board game obsessed friends and mm-hmm. played 16 hours of Megasoft. <laughs> <laughs> so if you didn't wow. like games before, you had to like them now. Uh-huh. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so that was pretty much the relationship barometer yeah. test that weekend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. was pretty much just like, well, if he doesn't survive this, then he's gone ski. But if he can get through this, then maybe we'll, maybe you'll stick around for a little bit longer. Yeah, something like that. Absolutely. <laughs> so look, we'll we'll talk about Ludo Chair in a little bit, but Mark, what are you currently doing in the in the tabletop space? Uh, yeah, so I'm, I currently work for Tabletopia as their community manager. Okay. So um, it's a lot of uh, social, it's social media management with a bit of outreach to publishers and working with conventions to make sure that we have a presence there and just sort of generally being a face of the company and well, not a not a face, but definitely um, a voice that the people get here representing the company. So is it fair to say, say roughly, I don't know, five months ago, your job drastically changed in that it got a lot busier very quickly? Yes. It, in fact, didn't exist five months ago. There um, you go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, because, um, no, pr- prior to that, I was actually just doing retail at a, uh, at a Good Games, at a okay. uh, board game store. So, in fact, uh, very drastically different. And then suddenly I didn't have a retail job because, well, you know, the world. Correct. Um, But Tabletopia was looking for a community manager. And the sort of prior couple of years I'd spent with the industry and helping Phoebe with things, you know, I I would help with um, Bezier Games uh, Kickstarter videos and uh, doing uh, like promo for that, did some rules editing for Dyzed and cardboard vault videos. Cardboard vault videos, yeah. yeah. So cool. that sort of allowed me to sort of make a good case for myself to actually um, get that position. And I, I, I previously come from film and television, and a lot of that was managerial stuff. So um, the sort of outreach portion and the and the coordinating uh, bit that was really kind of innate to me which was um, really useful, yeah. So you're in the the 1% in this case that you basically benefited from the plague. (laughs) Look, I I don't want to say it's been a good plague for me, but... (laughs) No. (laughs) Put it this way, someone's going to have something positive to come out of this, so I'm glad it's somebody nice, so that's fine. (laughs) I miss conventions, but yes. (laughs) Absolutely. And for anyone who doesn't know, Tabletopia is an amazing... What? How do you want to describe it, Mark? What's your, what's your elevator pitch? Digital sandbox that allows you to play your favorite board games. So we give you the physical, we give you the digital components and you can just play it in the space. Uh, there's no rules enforcement, so you have to do it all yourself. You can cheat just as well as you can in real life. If you get away with it, yep. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Excellent. So now let's let's talk about the, the hotness. Let's talk about everything Ludo Cherry and the whoppingly, whoppingly, whoppingly big success that you two had with that. So again, for anyone who's lived under a rock recently, who wants to give us the elevator pitch for, for what a Ludo Cherry is and why it was able to set Kickstarter alight? Phoebe, what is a Ludo Cherry? <laughs> Uh, so Ludo Cherry uh, is a uh, 
board game inspired clothing line, I guess. So uh, we wanted to create some, you know, dressier, smarter uh, clothes for board gamers that so you can display, you know, your love of everything geeky uh, wherever you are. So we've got button up shirts and, um, and, and skirts uh, in really unique fabrics that we've designed to kind of be geeky but subtle. So you can wear them to work, you can wear them really wherever you, you want because the designs will kind of blend in and look like normal patterns until you look up close. So there's kind of meeples hidden in there or D20s or uh, victory um, wreaths or uh, player pawns and all kinds of things hidden in the, in the patterns. Exactly right. Leon, what are you going to say? So this is obviously a great idea and it's one that I think many, you know, one in the morning drunken conversations around a board game table had for years and years and years. I know the dice man did, that's for sure. Uh, redbubble.com slash Diceman. But <laughs> who do you two think you are that you actually pulled the trigger and be the ones that actually do this? How did it came about that you've kind of gone, right, we've everyone's chatted about this, let's actually do what should be done? Was it the 13 seasons of Project Runway for you? Or? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, not just Project Runway, Project Runway All-Stars. Project Runway Junior. Yeah, yeah, all the projects. No, Junior's bad. Anyway. So basically you've benefited from a plague as well. That's what I'm hearing. <laughs> That's what it sounds like to me. Um, look. Uh, this was many years in development before the plague. Yeah. But- <laughs> I, I don't know because I don't have any experience in um, fashion design or uh, textile design or fashion production. Uh, all I had was kind of some really terrible sketches because I'm not an artist. <laughs> um, some like concepts in my head that I managed to sketch out and an idea that, you know, after looking around, this didn't really exist anywhere. And I, I honestly, I was just like, you know what? I'm going to make the clothes that I want to wear. Yep. Uh, and that was really it because I have so many amazing geeky t-shirts and I love them as well. But I was like, you know what? When I want something dressier, I don't want to necessarily have to choose between you know, wearing a skirt or um, wearing something geeky. It's like, why can't I have both? So I was just like, you know what? Let's get these ideas I have for textiles out out onto paper and let's start seeing if there's artists who can bring them to life and let's start doing all that and looking into production and it just was like if I had known at the start how many steps would be involved and what a big undertaking it would be to get here I think I would have probably been like oh my god I'm not even I'm gonna so tired. I'm, not, <laughs> I'm not even gonna start you know because it's I've been learning so much about so many things I didn't even know that you know that starting point of yeah um but it's just been one thing at a time as i've needed to do it um and it's just it's i you know i've obviously hired people who can help me hired pattern makers hired people with experience in production and all that kind of stuff but honestly as i said i just want to make these clothes so i could wear them and that sounds absolutely perfect now looking at raw numbers 1407 backers hundred and fifty eight thousand three hundred and sixteen dollars. so an amazing effort but that all goes all the way to the wayside because it's all just about pockets, isn't it? It's all about <laughs> pockets. Yes. <Yeah. laughs> so for people who don't know, our skirts have pockets and each pocket holds about 200 dice. And for guys who don't know, that's a big deal. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I, I must say that when I first uh, had my first girlfriend, first serious girlfriend in like my early 20s, the idea that she said, oh yeah, I've got all these amazing clothes and not a single one of them has pockets. It blew my mind, and I think most men are probably in that category. And, yeah, it's just always in the back of my head just thinking, 
surely if somebody brings out any lo- clothing line that has pockets, they're going to take the world by storm. <laughs> so you've done that as well. So well done. Yeah. Yes, and you did inspire me to actually look up the Wikipedia page for Pockets. So I now know that Pockets first appeared in a modern day variant in about the 13th century. So there you go. There you go. All right. <laughs> and they say we don't do research on this show. <laughs> so <laughs> how's this going? How's, how's all the Ludo Cherry Kickstarter-ness going on in today's crazy world? I mean, I know you put up a, a recent update not too long ago, but, but how's things tracking and what updates have you got for the backers? Yeah, so things have been going really well. So we actually, on Friday, we received our second set of pre-production samples. So what that is, is basically the factory sends us, you know, a shirt in a few sizes, a skirt in a few sizes, and we measure them against the, you know, what, how they how large they're meant to be against the spec sheet. Um, we check it, you know, all the sewing, all the construction, all the details, and we send them back their notes and either ask for a new set of samples uh, if we want to make some big changes, or we go, okay, let's go to production. And I think, excitingly, we're really happy with these. We're <laughs> going to be moving to production. There's one or two really small things we need to fix up in terms of um, the the measurements not being quite right, but that's something that we can just point out and hopefully we'll be good to go to start, you know, getting the whole lot made. Printing on that literal kilometre long fabric wow. roll they've got. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty amazing. But what's also really amazing is the level of support you were able to get from really well-known tabletop personalities and celebrities in inverted commas how did you manage to successfully reach out and then get them to promote your your product so effectively? Because looking at your Kickstarter page, there was everyone who's everyone in tabletop really <laughs> able to say really nice things about, you know, these, these, these products that you were bringing out. Yeah, it was, you know, it helped, as I said, that we kind of had a foot in the industry and I'd worked with a lot of these creators through my job with Bezier Games because obviously my job there was, you know, providing review copies, making these connections with press and with people. So I was already had some kind of working relationship with a lot of these people, either, you know, getting videos made or sending them review copies uh, and personal relationships as well because obviously we'd talk on Twitter or on Facebook or at conventions. And, you know, that doesn't guarantee that they're going to be interested in the thing you make, but it does certainly help in terms of initially reaching out and saying, you know, I'm, I was comfortable reaching out to Rodney Smith or reaching out to um, Ella or reaching out to Ross and saying, hey, you know, I have this thing, would you be interested? And having that ability to initially make contact is really helpful. I think. I remember when I first emailed Rodney and to me, like Rodney's videos are kind of the pinnacle of production, you know, like he does such an amazing job. He's been doing it for such a long time. And he wrote back this email being like, oh my gosh, you are innovating in all capital letters. I'd love to, you know, help you out. I'd love to make a video. And I'm just there just like, what is happening? You know? Fangirling. Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, I think that the fact we had such a unique product, because there really isn't, you know, anything, as I said, out there like what we're doing with our clothes, I think that helped generate a lot of interest and got, got a lot more responses than you'd normally get from uh, the amount of reviewers we reached out to. Absolutely. And it, and it has to be said that Rodney Smith is arguably the nicest person in tabletop the world. We've, we've spoken to him on, on several occasions and oh man, you just get a smile on your face talking to the guy. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) 
So look, congratulations on it. It's, it's an amazing, amazing achievement. And obviously we'll be looking forward to season two of uh, Ludo Cherry Close at some point down the track. Uh, once this one obviously um, gets into those hands of those 1,400 odd backers, eh? Yeah. Yeah, which of course we are some of them, the Dice Man and as and my Dice wife Sarah, who's got a few skirts on the way. She's very much looking forward. As soon as I told her the word, look at these designs, she's like, they're pretty awesome. And then I said the word pockets and she just threw money at my face. <laughs> was, which was rather nice. I don't, I don't, it's normally the other way around, so that's completely fine. <laughs> um, but my question is, uh, and a quite a very serious one, that during this time of um this, you know, this plague and this craziness, how many billion emails have you got from people saying we need to go up a size because we've sat on our couch for three months, please. <laughs> <laughs> well, thankfully, we still have the pledge manager open, so no one has to tell me if they need to go up a size. They can just simply... Like, you can just change it themselves. Change, change it themselves. Um, yes. We have had a few people asking about, you know, how do I figure out my size? Because, you know, we say, you know, please make sure you measure yourself or measure your shirts or whatever. And for guys, you're just like, I don't... I, don't, I just order on L. I'm an L. Do, do you guys yeah. measure your shirts? Before you order them online? Actually, in honest truth, the only time I have measured my size in at least the last year is to get your sizing right. (laughs) That is the only time. Because apart from that, I am an L. I think when it comes to like collared shirts, I've never ordered one online. I think I've always gone to a store for the simple fact that I don't trust it. And I know for women, especially like my wife, who's um, she's as tall as me, she's six foot tall, and her finding clothes and she has, you know, long legs, wide hips, Finding clothes for her is just an absolute nightmare. So just the fact that she looked on there and saw this should be about right and gone from there. The fact that you can do that and leave the pledge manager open for people to change it is a, it's a very good thing. And uh, I heard a little rumour that there's going to potentially be some other sort of garments that you might be able to get if they're going to be successful. Is that, is that going to work out given the current horrendous time that we're all having? It is working out. So we're actually just waiting on um, our manufacturer to make and send some samples. Yep. Uh, but we will be making some cloth masks for everyone to continue surviving <laughs> this <laughs> pandemic. So uh, we, we had a few people asking about it initially, like just as our Kickstarter was ending. And naively, I was like, oh, well, you know, by the time we make them and ship them out, it's not going to matter anymore. It won't be a- <laughs> you know. Oh. Like, Oh, the optimism of youth. Oh. Yeah. So, you know, obviously it's very much still relevant, um, you know, in Melbourne and obviously in the US mm. and, and overseas. So, yeah, we are waiting on some samples, but we'll be making some masks uh, in all, all five of our fabrics. Um, they'll have, you know, three layers of fabric. They'll have adjustable ear loops, a little nose piece so you can fit it as close to your face as possible. So hopefully at least you can look stylish while you're out um, in the- Apocalypse chic. Yeah, apocalypse chic. There we go, very nice. Well, look, we are going to cut to a break and come back and and talk some games with you guys. But before we do, how about you do a little bit of self-promotion? So is there a way for for anyone to find you guys on on the socials or indeed online for Ludo Cherry, for Tabletopia, for anything else? Yeah, so uh, Ludo Cherry, you can just go to ludocherry.com. Uh, we have pre-orders open at the moment, so I think we've got the backer kit link on our website. I think it is, yeah. Otherwise, we'll make sure it is by the time this goes out. And on uh, all the social media, we're just at Ludo Cherry, uh, so you should be able to find us there. Yeah, and Tabletopia is just tabletopia.com. You can just hop online, you can create a free account, uh, it takes 30 seconds to sign up, and then you can play all these board games for free. 
Uh, and it's really simple to join and share with people because you literally just send them the link of the game you're in and then they'll be able to hop in. So give it a shot and uh, see what you think. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's fair to say that, that Tabletopia has been quite literally a lifesaver for a lot of people out there during these times that we haven't had a chance to um, to communicate or see some friends and having something like that. It's a platform there that, as you said, free and easy to sign up with Sandbox. It feels just like playing a game with your mates, especially if you do something like over this where you talk to them and can see them as well. It's um yeah, it's excellent to hear. So that's good to see that it's going strong and will continue to go strong. So as Garthy Boy said, we will cut to a break and then actually talk about some of these board games that we like to play. But of course we are brought to you by our good friends at LFG Australia. Check them out at lfg-aus.com. Send them some money and they'll send you some games. What a lovely idea. So that's what we will do and we'll talk about some stuff in a moment. Hi, my name's Joe, and I have been nicknamed JJ for reasons only the Dice Men know. And that was Somebody With Something on the Dice Men Cometh episode 311, proudly brought to you by LFG, who are looking for games. If you are looking for games, go to lfg-aus.com.au. Now, I'm going to just sit back and be quiet for a little while, because the three other people here have a game that they would like to talk about and they don't care what I think. So, no. Leon, I'll hand it over to you. What you think. We care what you think. We care what you think. We just are very well aware that you're wrong in every way, state of form. <laughs> but we're going to talk about a game that the Dicemen have been trying to talk about for a long time, and we're finally getting around to it because some other people have played it because Garth has, for some reason, been a bit more tentative to replay this again, even though he has played it before. And that yeah. game is a game that I must admit I knew nothing about until one day I was just scrolling through BGG and it's been out for three years now. And I just went, how is this game number 13 of all time? And it's really had no impact on my gaming life whatsoever. But it just came out of nowhere. It rose to the top. And I thought, I need to play this, even though Garth has his feelings. And that game is, of course, Spirit Island, which came out in 2017. Now, what is Spirit Island? I hear everybody out there saying. Well, not me. T- n- you, you said you were going to be quiet. Get back to your wine, boy. Sorry. Anywho. Yeah. <laughs> so, you're a powerful spirit of the natural world, existing on an isolated island. Invaders from beyond the sea have recently begun their colonization of your island, killing the innocent native islanders, a people called the Dahan, and upsetting the natural balance. I'll take that again. <laughs> upsetting the natural balance. The spirits of the island must grow in power and throw back the invaders before the island is blighted beyond hope of recovery and this final bastion of nature is gone forever. Now, doesn't that sound like fun, everybody? And it is. It It truly is. Yes, excellent. (laughs) Garth, doesn't that sound amazing? Just that alone? Sorry, I wasn't listening. What? I didn't think you were. (laughs) Anywho, so Spirit Island, as I said, which came out in 2017. It is a co-op game which plays from one to four, so you can play this quite happily solo. But the general best consensus is to play it with two, maybe three. Four after people are big, big fans of it and probably know the game very well because this is not a short game. It can take between roughly 90 minutes to two hours, which, again, I would argue is probably after you've played it at least once before because the first time you play it, it's going to be a bit longer because the setup can take a while. Getting to know the characters' intricacies can take a while. Uh, And as I said, it's also a little bit heavier and it's also heavier in the thinking because it's being a good co-op game, but it involves a lot of thought before your turn. You've got to plan it all out and it all kind of happens straight after each other. So it's published by Greater Than Games, which are known for 
primor- primarily this these days, but also they did Sentinels of the Multiverse, which is a game that is not as big now as what it once was, but that is a game that is inspired so many other games in our hobbies in terms of superhero games, in terms of deck building games. It's got a lot of a lot of DNA in many games that have come out these days uh, from Sentinels of the Multiverse. And they also have a new party game called Medium, which has been doing very well for them over the last year or so, I must admit. Have you guys played Medium yet? We have, yeah. yeah. We um, played it at our New Year's party back when you could catch up with people. Lovely. Um, yeah. so, so 2019, you two. I know. <laughs> and the 10-second review of Medium is... Uh, well, you can was, say bad things if you want to. You're allowed fine. to. It's fine. I uh, I would play it with like four or five people. Yeah. Uh, I wouldn't play it with the recommended up to eight or so. Oh god, no! Right. Uh, mostly okay, stick because, that on the box. Yeah, because <laughs> it's fun um, as a like a little exercise of you know you, you each play a card and then you have to say the word that's like the the middle of those two cards, yeah. right? Um, yeah. And you try to say it at the same time. But if you have eight people, it's just so long between turns. So much downtime. Uh, and what kind yeah. of ended up happening was, you know, it was one half of the table's turn and the other people were just off getting cheese and crackers and getting wine and yeah. not paying attention and wandering back. So it's fine if you have like a little party atmosphere and pe- people wander off and then eventually lose interest and you don't care about the score. But if everyone's forced to sit there and just watch everyone else play, I can imagine that being... It's a bit tedious. Yeah, not fun. Yeah. yeah. Okay, cool. Well, right. we don't have Sounds to a lot about- like Spirit Island. Well, we don't have to talk about that ever again because it is now official on the record that Ludo Cherry think that Medium by Greater Than Gabe's is garbage. So we can move on. I didn't say garbage. Yes, but I'm the editor. You forget about that. (laughs) So anyway, so this game, like I said, it's a co-op game, but it is very much asymmetrical in the fact that everybody has a character that is different. And this game is outside of a game like Root or a Crystal Cavern is about the most asymmetrical you can possibly have in the board gaming world. Because, for instance, everybody has a character and there's lots of different ones. There's Ace, Eight in the base game as itself. They have amazing names, things like Shadows Flicker Over Flame or Lightning Swift Strike or Rivers Surge in Sunlight, which is just so cool. But the thing is, these boards that I have in front of me, which is a great little production and amazing art, just to get that out of the way early, um, It's not just that, oh, they each have their own unique player power, which they do, and they each have their own little unique deck, which they do. They also have nearly every single other way these characters interact with the board game, from their setup to their play style to the things they can do during the game. They're all different than one another, which is one of the biggest selling points of this game is that replayability is like an 11 on 10. Yeah, the thing I love about this game with the characters is that everyone is specifically designed that you feel as if you are that force of nature. So there's Mm. one where uh, Ocean's Hungry Grasp, I think, and it basically operates as, you know, you try to grab colonists off the beach and drag them in and then you can consume that for more energy. And um, the whole flow of your gameplay as Ocean's Hungry Grasp is sometimes you'll have more presence on the island as you your presence grows as if, you know, a wave's coming into shore, and but then you'll have to, you know, the next turn your presence um, ebbs, ebbs away and then you have to kind of have a less of a turn and you kind of feel this surging and this pulling back as the ocean and this spreading and this pulling back and it... it whereas if you play, like, the, one of the fire ones, you have the the feeling of being destruction, destructive and fast and having to temper your abilities. Whereas if you play the 
um, plant ones and the tree ones, you're very slow and quiet and defensive. Um, and that's kind of your strength in the game. So they all feel very thematic as you're playing them. I really like playing the uh, sharp fangs behind the leaves, which is uh, an expansion one from Branch and Claw. Mm -hmm. which um, it allows you to control the beasts of the jungles. Mm -hmm. So you can only exist in the jungles or control things adjacent to jungles, but you basically are sending out your beasts to like take down the enemies and, and grab them um, while you sit and wait in the forest. It's, it's really quite thematic and cool. Yeah. yeah, it certainly is. So when this game starts, uh, the winning condition requires you to destroy every last uh, settlement and city on the board. So the invaders you're trying to wipe out. But as the game goes through it, you'll be using this ability, which is called fear, which is so cool. And you will slowly but surely just scare the invaders off that you don't have to utterly destroy them because they will just start running away by themselves. So as the game goes further and further, by the end of it, you might have to say, just get them out of the towns as opposed to just the cities. And that's how you will win. Uh, but defeat can also come from all it takes is one spirit to be killed off by the invaders and the game is over. Uh, also, if the entire island has been overrun by blight, which is the influence of the invaders, then the game could be over. Or if the invader deck depletes, which is a kind of a timing mechanism for the game, which is, I think, roughly 12 rounds or so, and you kind of go from there. So that's how the game can end in various different ways. But how do you actually go about playing it? Well, I'm glad you asked, Garth. So oh, Yes, yes. How, how, do, how do I play this really long game? So it's not that long once you get around to it, and it's not that difficult. It just has a lot of things that look complicated but they're not you're just wrong so <laughs> during the different phases of the game there's the spirit phase which is kind of your planning phase you'll do growth which is where you can kind of upgrade or you'll pick different things you can kind of use to upgrade your character gain different abilities and gain different cards then you'll gain your energy for the round and as much energy as you have that's how many different abilities that you can do then you'll also play and pay for cards so as i said everyone has their own different cards their own different deck of cards, which represent the abilities that these characters can do. And the art on them is amazing. And they're all so thematic. They all make perfect sense for what that character could do. Like the fire ones, obviously just spread fire and stuff everywhere. The water ones are more about, you know, defense, but as I said, it could be dragging things into the sea. So it all works out. And with those type of cards, there are two different versions of cards. They're called fast abilities and slow abilities which I think is another thing that this game does that's really quite innovative is that, that some of the cards you can play with the fast abilities, they will happen right now. Whereas the slow abilities will happen after the invaders have gone. So you can plan out your turn based off, I think we need to do some stuff now and some stuff we have to do later. Each card is put into those categories so you have no choice in the matter, but you can kind of work out, let's see what they do first maybe and then we'll hit them hard or you can kind of go from there. Uh, what do you guys think about that fast, slow type thing? Yeah, we really like it because the uh, so the way the invaders act is reasonably predictable, at least if you're not playing with any adversaries or anything else, which is the whole thing. Uh, but you know, you'll reveal, you'll do some setup. Um, but basically, they can do they'll do a ravage, a uh, build, and an explore yeah. each turn. And so, if there's a card under ravage, whatever that terrain is, they'll ravage it. So they'll attack it. Uh, so you want to kind of remove them or move them before they have the chance to ravage it and spread blight and everything. Then they'll build in whatever terrain that is. So they'll add cities or towns, depending on what's there. Uh, and then they'll explore, which means you flip over a new card 
and whatever that terrain is, explorers uh, head out to that terrain if they can. So if that terrain is next to the ocean, so it's accessible by sea, or if it's next to uh, a settlement that already exists on the board, they'll mm. be able to access it. Um, so you kind of know, you don't know what that new terrain is going to be, what they're going to explore, but you know what they're going to do in the other terrains that are out there. Because uh, whatever they built that turn will become the ravaged space the next turn, and whatever they explored that turn will become the build space that turn. So you have a lot of information to sort of guide you, and it's kind of this balance between, do I want to do this really powerful slow ability uh, in order to let them do something kind of bad now, but I can prevent them from doing something much worse later? Or do you have to take care of something now before they overtake the entire island? Yeah, it's like, oh shit, we need to get rid of them attacking there because that space is already blighted. And if they blight that, there'll be an extra blight added. There's so much happening. I love it. Yeah. And, and so this is where you get the real brain burn is because you're choosing, you know, I'm going to play this card and this card and this card, which will affect these spaces this turn. Oh, what are you doing? Oh, I, you can't affect that space, but I can affect that space. So you play that card to affect that space. And so you're trying to coordinate with everyone else to make sure all the areas that need to be attended to are attended to. At the same time, uh, you start on your own player board. So it's modular. So, you know, if, if you're playing two players, you'll pop two player boards together and you'll play with them. If you're playing three players, three boards. And so you sort of have your own little area of influence. And for example, if you're playing a forest character, you, you worry about forest spaces. And then your um, other player who's a, who's a rock golem worry about the mountain spaces. And so you sort of have uh, your own areas and specialties and you can rely on other players for that, which is really, really cool. And I know that in cooperative games, there can be a tendency for alpha gaming, which is where one person uh, commands everyone else and says, oh, you do this, you do that, and I'll do this. And then that leaves no fun or decision-making for you. But what's really, I guess, cool about Spirit Island's complexity is that there's so much going on, there's not really room for alpha gaming unless you want to be there all night. Your brain will explode if you try to alpha game this game. Yeah. Gasp. Sounds, sounds like you're describing the game I had, actually. So, oh. uh, so look, yeah, with, with my one game that I had a couple of years ago, it was three of us. It was myself, it was Trent and someone else who I can't remember who they were. Um, or maybe I've just blocked that out of my memory. But look, my, my enduring memories of Spirit Island were, first of all, that I was really impressed with the speed. I liked the, the speed mechanic. I thought the fact that you could do the fast action and get something out of the way quickly versus sort of just waiting and as you say sort of know something bad's going to happen but, but stop it trying to be really bad that was kind of cool i love the fact that all the different spirits and creatures and what have you were were unique abilities and, and you really took ownership of your little sort of deity but the problem we had is that there was there was just too much ap involved in trying to maximize the turn that we were all going to have and the turn that we were all going to have really boiled down to the one alpha gamer who just took that that 10 or 15% of too much control and you just go, okay, I'm, I'm really watching and being part of a, a three-player solo experience here. I, I could leave and walk away and I, I don't think the game is going to be any different. Um, and for a game that we must have played out over the course of, like, it felt like five weeks, but it was probably about three or four hours. <laughs> it was just, it was just not fun. And... and you know, it's one of those games that 
I feel like in order to get the most enjoyable experience, you're going to have to work your way through a couple of games of it so that you're sitting around the table with people who know it and people who understand how it's going to play out or know, know the character that they're going to be creating, how that one works so that you can get those synergies working out. And I can see why it's, it's up there in the top BGG um, rankings just because it, it does tick a hell of a lot of boxes for a lot of gamers. But I think it's one of those games that I would certainly need to play at least once or twice or three times again to really affect my opinion on it because the first experience was really, really not fun at all. Yeah, no, well, like I said, Garth isn't, as much as I don't want to admit it, he's actually not wrong because I could understand fully that he's had that experience because I don't imagine anybody's first game of Spirit Island is going to be their most favourite or the most time they had the most fun because there is a lot of icons to, to learn. Not that they're difficult, but there is a lot of them to go through. And as you said, that there could be the chance of somebody... It is very hard for somebody to alpha game in this because another thing about this game is that everything that's happening is all happening simultaneously. It's not you do a turn, you do a turn, you do a turn. You're all doing stuff at all the exact same time. So and literally, unless you have somebody over your shoulder saying, no, you should do this, you should do this, you should do that, it's kind of hard for that to happen. And just one other thing before we move on from it, as you guys were saying before about the, um, the different way that the invaders work, just the logic of that, impresses me so much the fact that when they invade they come from the oceans or they come from the cities places that they can you know come from the oceans from their boats or the cities where they already are and then the next turn that's when they're going to build because they're already on the island and then the next turn that's when they're going to suck the resources out of the land it makes perfect logical sense and from the reason i think why it's so highly regarded on the rankings and by a lot of people is that there's very very little luck in this game Nearly nothing is hidden knowledge. There might be some things that come out that you weren't quite expecting, and there are different ways to mitigate it. The amount of different modules you can add to this from even the base game, let alone the expansions of having events and having your adversaries, which is where you kind of put a theme onto the different invaders that are coming and different scenarios. But just the base game alone, there's not that much, I don't know what's happening. So that's where the AP can come into it as well, because you do know everything that's in front of you. So you could really math it out but like I said, since everyone's got control of their own thing, it kind of goes a bit more swimmingly. Yeah, I, I think this is definitely a game where you can have a really bad experience. And I, you know, I've had other friends who have had bad experiences either because it's taken too long or everyone's been new to the game or it's been a bit overwhelming. And even when, you know, we played for the first time after a while or we introduced new expansions, we just kind of have to adopt the mindset of, we're not going to make optimal turns. Let's just make turns. Let's just see how this game plays. Let's just make some moves. Uh, and what we'll usually do is, you know, okay, these two spaces on the board definitely need to be addressed. So I'll address this. You address that. Everything else, you know, just do something and hopefully it'll be fine. But we're not trying to have a perfect turn. And that's honestly the best and only way to initially start processing for the first game even maybe your first two or three games and once you get into that rhythm of okay i understand how these things interact you can start planning more optimally but otherwise you are going to be there for three or four hours and so if you can just accept this isn't going to be a perfect turn just enjoy it do your best without taking five hours 
it's going to be a much more enjoyable experience. Yeah. So at the end of the day, any co-op game is prone to to, to AP and to, to to quarterbacking and stuff like that. So even the best co-op games in the world, which Spirit Island is considered one of them, you could have an absolutely shocking game of it. I can absolutely understand that. So it does depend on the people and experiences and stuff like that. But that doesn't necessarily mean it's the game's fault because especially a game like this, where I believe this game mitigates quite a lot of that kind of thing so it can't happen as much whereas something like say pandemic that's so simple even though that is also a great game you could so easily have somebody just go right everybody's doing this end of story and that's kind of if you look at the board and go they're right then that's what you're doing whereas in this you've got your own deck of cards somebody's not yeah it's not open knowledge you don't have them splayed out in front of you so you can tell people i guess what you have although i believe there's something in the book that says don't go find out telling people everything you have that's kind of stupid but yeah, you kind of go from there. So, but also I just wanted to mention as well, as I said, the replayability of this game is through the roof, just the base game alone. But since then, there has been uh, two expansions. There's some promo stuff that's come out, but there's been two major expansions. The first one came out very soon after the base game, which was, as we mentioned before, which is Branch and Claw, which brings two new spirits. It brings a new adversary, which is the French, as well as some events into the game that you can choose to use or not, and different scenarios for different setup options. But it also brings in those animal tokens where like the actual wild animals of the of the uh, the land can get involved. And even though if you're not playing a character that's to do with that, um, the animals, you can still have them in the game if you want. But also there is another expansion which is going to drop sometime in even the coming weeks. It literally should be on people's doorsteps very soon, which is Spirit Island uh, Jagged Earth, which was a Kickstarter as well, I believe. Um, and this expansion is quite insane because it basically doubles the base game in that it gives you 10 new spirits the base game only had eight so with that with the first expansion of branch and claw that's 20 so those alone is you'll never play the same game twice then it puts two new adversaries two new island boards so the whole board itself you're going to have two new versions of new event cards new blight cards new power cards there's also an option to play up to six players, which you should never, ever do. Nope, don't do it. Don't do in, it. In the, in the history of ever. You probably should no. even play this with four or five. But anyway, so we'll <laughs> kick into the final thoughts because I think we've said enough about how the game works. I got this just to try it out. And I actually played this at the start of lockdown, even when um, Tasmania was first doing it. And um, I play this with my wife, as I've mentioned many times. We don't play a lot of board games between the two of us, but when we do, we like co-op. And since this is supposed to be kind of the cream of the crop of co-ops these days, so my wife learnt it and taught it to me. And we had an absolute blast, so much so that we played it again the next night, which is something I don't know if we've ever done with a board game just between the two of us. And that second game, once we knew the game a little bit better, it flowed so much better. And it was the first game was enjoyable, but then the second game was just amazing. So I can absolutely see why people give it the praise that it does. And if somebody says to me, what is the best co-op game out there? For, in terms of fun, I don't think it's, I'd say this. In terms of what is actually the best game co-op-wise, I would argue that this would be possibly the thing that I would say. Right, let's have our illustrious guest before Garth does a bit more poo-pooing. <laughs> Mark? Well, I was just going to say that, um, I mean, as, as much as some co-op games can uh, find ways to mitigate uh, that alpha gaming, piggybacking, quarterbacking uh, thing, like, for example, Hanabi, 
Um, you, no one has perfect information. And in fact, the entire game is predicated on giving people very limited information. So there are co-op games that do find ways to mitigate the possibility of alpha gaming a lot more. But with that being said, I think that Spirit Island is unique in that the puzzle is so uh, complex and modular to you where you have your own specialty that you're going to be spending time working on your own character rather than worrying about what everyone else is doing. Because at the end of the day, it's, it's a very fun puzzle to solve. And I think if you like that puzzle and you find joy in actually figuring out what can I do with what's in front of me and how is that going to solve our problem? I think you're going to have so much fun playing this game. And we're so excited for the expansion. Although, please don't play it at five to six players when you get that. Um, <laughs> apparently, there are rumours, there's, there's a BGG thread, that they did a 12-player game at some point. And that oh, sounds like hell. It does. Eric yeah. was planning the rules for how to allow for a 12-player game, but he never actually did it because I think... Uh, he didn't get time to do the rules in time for last week. Right. Yeah. But right. that was a thing he's considering and may still do in the future. I don't like it. I don't <laughs> like it at all. <laughs> Some things are bet left where they are when they're as good as they are. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, I, I absolutely love this game. I first played it, I actually play tested it with Eric before it came out. Uh, so it was my first BGG con in 2014, I think. Yeah. And, um, you know, I was going to BGG Con. I didn't have someone to share a hotel with. So being a 20, 21 year old, I was like, you know what? I'm going to post on BGG forums and get a <laughs> random roommate. And what could possibly go wrong? Right. <laughs> anyway, I got um, this lovely guy, Eric Roos, responding, saying he'd be happy to have a roommate. Uh, turns out it's a designer of Spirit Island, which was at that stage, I think, signed by Greater Than Games, but was going through some final playtesting. And even though it didn't come out for another three years, I say final playtesting because I think he worked on it for seven years. Yeah. Wow. Um, so this is very much a labor of love. You know, he's a mostly a, you know, uh, work from home and a stay at home dad. So his designer side is very much a part-time hobby thing. And this is just something he's done, you know, to balance it and make it perfect over years and years and years of his life. And um, you know, I played it at that con, play tested it with him. And from then I'm just like, oh my God, this is incredible. And I've seen kind of the process and how he's taken that to the final stage and play testing the expansions. And it's just... And is that right that Branch and Claw was originally meant to be in the base game, but it was yeah. just too much? Yeah. So the ex first, ex <laughs> I think this is why it was able to come out so quickly is Branch and Claw was originally, you know, part of Eric's vision for the base game, which yeah. if you imagine the base game... <laughs> with more. With more... <laughs> as a starting point uh and branch and claw is like it's again it's intuitive once you know it but it's still a lot more to learn yeah greater than games it's like no uh no that's that's too much fair enough too. <laughs> um but you know it's an amazing expansion and so that's i you know they pulled it out and it, it, the game works very well with or without mm. it but yeah it's a lot of content and a lot of kind of just perfecting that yeah. made it the success it is plus like I really appreciate the fact that it's deliberately made from an anti-colonialism kind of point of view. Like it's not hiding the fact that that's what it is. And it's kind of uh, presenting itself as a counterpoint to games like Catan and Small World and where, where they're either you're just destroying the quote unquote barbarians or there's, you know, magically unclaimed lands that you're settling and kind of putting a new 
anti-colonialism spin on what is occasionally a very colonialist kind of hobby and very colonialist. For sure. So um, I think that's kind of an important thing in the game as well. Excellent. Well, look, I've already said pretty much everything I need to say. <laughs> the game I played was not overly enjoyable. While mechanically, the game is certainly something I'm interested in. I would be willing to give it another go, but I would I would have to have people around me who've played it. I don't want to I don't want to have a first timer. So yeah, when I get to Melbourne next time in you know 2045 or whatever, yeah. um, we might have to organise a game, and you can try and convince me of uh, just again how wrong I am. Yep, that's, right. that's, yes. I'd be happy to try. Let's fold in every expansion. <laughs> I have to do yeah, that. Get that 12-player game going. That'd be amazing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes, I have to prove Garth wrong every fortnight. I'm more than happy to have somebody else do it for me for a change. So that was Spirit Island. Um, attractive young people say thumbs up and curmudgeonly old fellas with all the beards say thumbs in the middle Ooh. maybe one day. Yeah, but that's just because he likes colonialism. He's a horrible person. So anyway... We're going to take a quick break as we tend to. Remember, we are sponsored, as we always are, by lfg-aus.com. Get on there and buy Spirit Island, and you could probably get the expansion on there soon, which hopefully should be coming to everyone's doors very soon. So we'll be back in just a moment after I put in most likely an ad that says, can you politely give us all your money? Thank you. Hello, everybody. It's your friendly neighbourhood, Leon, here. Just a quick break in the action to remind everybody how you can interact with the Dice Men. Of course, we are on all those social medias. So things like your Instagrams, your Facebook, your Twitters. We're on all of them at Dice Men Cometh. You can also email us at thedicemencometh at gmail.com. That's a great way to get in touch with us for things like asking any type of questions but also sponsorship we've been doing that for several years now with various different promotions and ads and you can be involved in that too if you like also if you wish to help the dice man cometh you can get onto itunes and chuck us one of those cheeky five star reviews it helps people from around the world get to listen and we've met some great international listeners because of that so the more you can do that the merrier and if you would like, we also have our Patreon. You can go over there and chuck us a few bucks, completely up to you. Even if you threw us a dollar a month, you would not notice out of your bank account, but we certainly would. If everybody listening to my voice did that, we would be happy as Larry. And we use that money to good effect. We use it to get to various different conventions all around Australia. It ain't easy getting around this big old country that we have, but we manage and we do it because we want to meet you and play as many games as possible. Or you could jump over to redbubble.com, chuck in the Dice Men Cometh, and have any of our merch with our logo on it. We've got t-shirts, we've got hoodies, there are mugs, there are heaps of cool stuff over there. I've got quite a bit of it, and it all looks grand. So, with all that being said, thank you very much for listening and supporting us over the years. We absolutely love doing this show, and hopefully we'll be doing it for a long time to come, and your support is one of the main drivers of that. So feel free to get in touch about anything to do with board gaming or anything whatsoever. But enough of my chit-chat, back to the action. So that was most likely my own Patreon ad, so I'm now throwing to myself after I threw to myself a second ago because that's what I do. So uh, our lovely guests have been playing some games themselves while during isolation, and they're going to talk about one that we had a chance of playing a little while ago when we could see each other face-to-face -face as well. Yeah, so we've been... Uh, the most recent game we've been playing is uh, the first game in the Adventure Game series. Uh, so we played Adventure Games, The Dungeon. Colon the dungeon. Dun, dun, um, 
Yes, it's 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 really fun. Uh, so, it, you know, in the in the in the tsunami that is escape room games, this one's actually a bit different. Um, where it's more it's more akin to a point and click adventure PC game. Uh, you'll you'll combine items, you'll click on things, you'll get funny dialogue out of trying to combine the wrong items, <laughs> and you'll you'll find multiple ways to escape the dungeon. I really like that they're also broken up into uh, three chapters per game, so three games of 90 minutes each, and so you can take them at your own pace. There's no timer in this one. You're not against a clock, so there's no pressure to solve the puzzles before uh, the app screams at you, it's been 60 minutes, you suck. Yep. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, one of the most distinguishing features is it's almost a puzzle game rather than an escape room game, although it's definitely in that same vein of, you know, do the thing and get out and, and fix the problems. Um, but it's one of those where you kind of slowly reveal bits and pieces of information and you'll find like half of a puzzle, but you can't solve it yet. Oh, what, how do I do that thing? Or what do I need to put in there? And maybe you won't have it until chapter two or chapter three. Um, so you've got to be really kind of creative with the items you find. Uh, but also, you know, exploring some avenues will cut off other avenues or, um, you know, there'll be multiple endings or combining some items means that items used up and you can't combine it with other items. So there's so many kind of slightly different paths that you can go down depending on how your brain thinks, depending on how you approach the puzzle, um, that you're going to get not necessarily better or worse endings or better or worse results, but you're going to have a different journey mm. um, depending on the people you play it with, which is really cool. Because you can't actually lose in these games, which I think is a really nice uh, touch as well. I'm sure there are bad endings. There are ter probably <laughs> terrible endings, but uh, you, you will definitively reach an ending, yeah. um, be that as it may. And um, there's, it's multiple paths, like Phoebe said. Uh, in, in the one we played, for example, uh, without spoiling anything, uh, there are multiple ways you can interact with the game, but if you choose one of them, uh, the rest of them will be locked out, uh, which I've, I found was really cool because um, it's all done through a storybook uh, or, the, or the Cosmos app. So you um, can have, we had the app read it out to us, which was pretty fun, um, getting our own little narrator going. Um, and that means that, uh, you know, the developers could really take the time to actually make a lot of content because it's just a couple lines of uh, dialogue, but they really add flavor and story and uh, thematic elements to it. Yeah, absolutely. And look, while we're not going to talk about the game that Leon and I played on Saturday night, there was an element of story in the game that we played. But going back to adventure games, The Dungeon, I played it with my, my kids and my partner and the four of us had it on the uh, living room table for three nights and we played it, you know, uh, a session every night. And it was just really cool. My, my daughter's nine, my son's 12, my partner and I are a little bit older than that. But the fact that, you know, it starts with you wake up in a dungeon and you don't know what you're going on. Uh, it's it's very much, as you say, that classic point and click option. You go, I'm going to try this, I'm going to do that, and I'm going to see if that works. I'm going to speak to that thing, and and it just it progresses really. I'm going to say nicely, which is a garbage way to say it, but the story just continually evolves in a really interesting way. And I, I do like the Cosmos app. I think it does add um, something to it when you've got that narration happening to to your own personal adventure. And yeah, especially when you're playing with kids, 
I contrast it against the Deckscape games that we played, which is very, very heavy on the, you have reached this amount of time and therefore every minute past that is naughty, bad. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas this one is, we're just in it for the story and it doesn't matter whether it takes four hours per scenario. It's just a great time to, to be having as, as a family. We were having wonderful conversations about what our characters would do and what the narrator was advising we should do and the items that we picked up and should we mix that with that and should we put that and sticky tape it with that thing and see what happens. Uh, and for something that's in a really small box, it's really portable. You could easily go and play it with some casual gamers or non-gamers and just show them a side of this hobby that is alien to them because it's just not something that other people outside of gaming would see but a lot of people have got that connection back to 90s video games where you are you know going to monkey island or what have you and you're just clicking your way through a story so i, I really admire the effort that you know we have to shout out for australian designers phil walker harding and matthew dunstan of course you know it's it's a good fun time and i'll happily play monochrome inc which is the next one and it's over there on the shelf Yes, so Monochrome Inc. I haven't actually played the dungeon. Monochrome Inc. is the one that I played, and um, just for funsies, uh, I didn't like it. I didn't like it nearly at all. Uh, it's been a while since I've played it, so I, I'm going to say that out loud now. So I might butcher some of my criticism of it, but <laughs> I do remember being critical of it at the time. And I played this with um, our friends Georgie and Oren, which we've mentioned on the show many times. They're the people that I've played all the exit games with, played all the the deckscape played all the what's the other one unlocks unlocks games with um pretty much nearly any kind of story driven or uh escape room in a box tile game we've played with those because they're big fans of puzzles so we played this one with them and it's very much not necessarily a escape room in a box type of game it is more as you said a point and click so i must admit the story was good i enjoyed the story uh, the way that the narrator read it out that was fine my issue was that was the gameplay in that there wasn't because of the fact that you couldn't really lose or just the way that it was done. Again, it was a while since I've played it, but it just felt like the gameplay was almost non-existent. Like we were just kind of going about it, but because we knew we weren't going to lose, we knew we weren't on an exact strict time limit. It just kind of like, for instance, in the Monochrome Inc. one, I don't know if the dungeon has a similar mechanic. In the Monochrome Inc., there's an elevator because you're going to different levels of this, um, this building. And the rules for the elevator which they were just so a little bit more complicated than they needed to be. They were things like you can go to an elevator, but you can maybe bring someone with you. And if it's on a different, different level, you have to call it first, but it doesn't take you your turn to do it. So the way it was worded, and I could have been playing this completely wrong. It was almost just like, why bother even being there when anybody can move to any floor at any point, but you're trying to tell me that like, no, this person has to be there and that person has to be not. Again, I've butchered that explanation. I apologize. <laughs> However, it just didn't work. And like I said, we enjoyed the storyline stuff and the fact that you could go somewhere and you know try to mix an item with a certain location and the location would change. All that was grand, but it was just the actual doing of it. Like if it was a point and click adventure on a PC in front of me, I'd probably have no criticisms whatsoever. From a, from a board gaming standpoint, especially when you compare it to things like the exit games, which I love and other games, story games, like the ones me and Garth played on Saturday. Yar, yar, yar. Um, it just doesn't hold up in that kind of sense to those. That's fair. I think um, we just want to briefly point out though, our favorite escape room system is escape room, the game. So 
those are the ones I think you should uh, give a shot at because they 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 seem to do the escape room thing really well. The puzzles are designed to be sort of very uh, straightforward, but still giving you room to think. Are I, they the ones with the the, the coder? Yes. Yes, we, we've played we've played those ones as well, and they are also an excellent yeah. game. Like this is the only one of the. I suppose you could call it escape room in a box if you want to add this to those. This is the only one I think I've disliked out of the entire range of them. Even though the the unlock ones are a little bit plain, I guess, compared to others, but still. Yeah, and I think if you go into the the adventure game series, you definitely have to go in knowing it's not an escape room. Like it's it's more about the exploration and the curiosity. Oh, what happens if I stick my hand in that hole? I wonder if that's a good idea. <laughs> sometimes you do it anyway because you know you can't die. You just will get, you know, a slightly worse score. And Correct. sometimes it's just worth the lols. Or sometimes you'd be like, oh fine, I won't satisfy my curiosity. I won't stick my hand down the hole. Um, but it's very much about the you know, the exploration and the, oh, what 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 happens if I combine this with this or this with this and uh, less about, you know, winning or getting through it or uh, that measure of success. The measure, the measure of success is the fun we had along the way. Oh, uh, the journey and the friends we made. <laughs> <laughs> but look, I mean, the reality is, unlike almost any other escape room game, which I would never bother playing the scenario again. I would I would look to play the scenario in these ones again because there is that wealth of story that I didn't get to experience the first time round, and I I think that's a, a positive in this game because I could take it to some friend's house and I could enjoy that whole experience again with a different group of people who choose different things, or I might choose to play my character a different way, and therefore new story will will open itself up to me, and I, I like the fact that I have that option. Yeah, I think the idea of this is absolutely sound. It was just for me, this one that I played, at least the monochrome ink one, I can't speak for Dungeon. It's just the execution of it from a gameplay standpoint didn't land with me. But the idea of it, I think, is a cracking idea and I hope they do. I'm assuming they will do more of them because it has been relatively successful. So, yeah. So I'm looking forward to those. It's just this one was a little bit... Mm, but I would still recommend people try it. I would not say, oh, ignore it. But compared to maybe some others, it wouldn't be the one I recommend first. And if anyone wants something that's in between, something that's uh, kind of an escape room, but still more story focused, no time limit, uh, there's the Escape Tales series, yes. which that's mostly story. You can't lose, but there are terrible endings and bad <laughs> endings, and then maybe you get a good ending. Maybe, maybe. Uh, we did a sneaky flick through one of the books, and I think there was one good ending that you good did ish. everything right. Anyway, um, so, you know, you'll get an ending, you'll get through the story, uh, but you do have a limited number of kind of action points. So, you know, going and looking at a particular thing will use one of your action points. And then once you're out of action points, you know, you can't do anything. You have to move on to the next room or the next part of the story. Uh, and so that's kind of a nice in-between of, well, I can't look at everything. I can't do everything. What's most important? And how do we get the most out of what's available to us mm. while still getting kind of a fairly interesting and intriguing story along the way? So that's, I would say, the in-between of you know, the point and click, oh, we'll do everything and anything. And then the, oh, you've only got 60 minutes. And if you do it in more than 60 minutes, you suck. Yeah, yeah exactly right. Yeah. Yep. Cool. Well, there you go. So that was the first and maybe the second in the adventure games. You know, it's more it's more about a story than the actual systems, I think. It's it's a fun little journey for, for me. And that's what I would certainly happily play Monochrome Inc. with the kids. So we'll see how that goes. 
But I believe that's the show, Leon. Have, have we got anything else to say or can I just go to bed now? Uh, probably. I mean, everyone can check out all our social medias. You don't need me to tell you what they are because you all know them by now because you've all joined them, haven't you? And you've all given <laughs> us lots of likes and love and all the stuff over the years. But if you want to ask us about anything, always feel free to get in touch with us by those means. You know how to find them. And we just want to thank our special guests again this fortnight. It's been an absolute pleasure to have them. And just once again, quickly, where can guys, where can they find you and the lovely things that you do? All right, so uh, we're at ludocherry.com and at ludocherry on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Um, all the socials. All the socials, yes. so check us out there if you're interested in seeing what we're about and what we have. And Mark? Yeah, and uh, you can find Tabletopia at tabletopia.com or you can download it on iOS or Android or you can get it on the Steam, um, through Steam, as the Steam application. On the Steam. On the Steam. On the Steam. <laughs> one thing we were talking about during um, our little breaks that we didn't mention during the show, because Garth uh, forgot because he's an, an inept interviewer, is that you guys have pins for Ludo Cherry as well, which we need to mention because some people out there are pin crazy. Yes, we do. So yes. we have um, one enamel pin, which we've had for a while, which is our little uh, Cherry D20 logo. Uh, and we're also uh, getting samples and stuff for a second pin, which is in support of Black Lives Matter. Yep. Uh, so it's very cute. It's two um, two black meeples with a D20 and a little BLM banner. Um, so yeah, if you want to grab one of those, all uh, profits from that will go to Black Lives Matter as donation. Fantastic. So that, that is excellent. We're glad to hear it. Yep, wonderful. And on that note, that is episode 311. So thank you very much to Phoebe and Mark from Ludo Cherry slash Tabletopia. <laughs> uh, thanks very much, Leon, for making us do this every other week. Yeah. We will welcome. have to figure out who we're going to talk to in a couple of weeks' time. But until then, thank you, Ludo Cherry. Thank you, listeners. Make sure you check us out on all the socials and what have you, where Dice Men cometh on everything. And we will be back next week. Bye. 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 Toodle-oo. You've been listening to another episode of The Dice Men Cometh, proudly brought to you by LFG Australia. Be sure to check out lfg-oz.com.au for all the details of their flagship events, LFG Sydney and LFG Essen Unplugged, as well as their online and physical retail store. You can find us at dicemencometh.com or on Instagram, Facebook or Twitter. And don't forget, you can support us on Patreon too. Thanks for listening.